Do you know what time it is? It's Supernatural Story Time. And if you're easily scared, and even if you're not, there's only one thing left to do. Just turn off the lights, because these are stories that you listen to only in the dark. In the Absence of Light, Volume 2, Story Number 1. While growing up in West Virginia, I've heard many ghost stories. I originally lived in Cold City and had heard the headless Hannah story of the girl who walked the train tracks located behind Independence High School. As a child, me and my friends often walked the tracks late at night after sneaking out of our homes to hopefully see the ghost of the young girl supposedly beheaded by a passing train. The only thing we ever found was plenty of bramble bushes to scratch ourselves up with. It wasn't until I moved with my family to Hardy County that I witnessed anything out of the ordinary. My parents purchased an old farmhouse located in Matthias, West Virginia. The place had numerous outbuildings and was located near a small shallow creek. We moved there when I had just turned 16. I had heard many odd noises and things that seemed not to make sense at the time, but had attributed it to an overall active imagination. Until one night, my sister had an experience as well. We had all gone to bed as usual, nothing out of the ordinary. My sister's room shared a wall with mine and the rooms being side by side and in such an old house you could hear what was going on in the next room very well. The walls were not insulated and the boards were old, some of which had slight cracks between them. I was awakened very early in the morning by this blaring music. It was tremendously loud and was coming from my sister's room. She had a stereo in her room and I became angry thinking that she was being very inconsiderate and playing it loudly without regard to my parents or myself sleeping. I walked into a room and said to her, turn that thing down, Becky. Mom is going to be really mad at you. As soon as this left my mouth, I noticed that my sister was under her covers on her bed and shaking. She put her head out and told me that she didn't know how the stereo got turned on and that she had been awakened by the noise as well. I believed her because she was clearly near tears and it did not seem like her to lie about something like that. After that, there were other things that happened that made me wonder what was going on, but I never paid too much attention to it because I really didn't believe in ghosts. I moved away after graduating from high school and joined the army where I met my wife. I soon moved her and myself back to my parents' house when I left the military. Upon moving in, my wife had mentioned on several occasions of hearing or seeing things that didn't add up, but the thing that made me believe in ghosts without a doubt happened not long after we moved into my parents' house with them. I had taken the bedroom that I had lived in as a child and my wife Chrissy had chosen an extra room down the hallway across from my sister's room. At this point, me and Chrissy were not married yet and my mother and father wouldn't allow us to share the same bedroom. The evening of the occurrence, Chrissy had come to my room with me to play cards and we were both sitting on the floor facing each other. I had my old beat-up boombox sitting on the floor next to us and we were listening to the radio. Suddenly the station faded out and I paid it no mind thinking that it was just station drift. But there was order to it when another station started playing, different than the one we were listening to. Then that station faded and another came into tune. I looked at the radio amazed because otherwise it seemed that someone was searching for a certain station. The old boombox was not one of the new digital types, but had a dial with a knob that had to be turned to change stations. The station playing was shown by a red marker that set at that frequency. Chrissy and I both watched in horror as the knob did not move 
but the pointer scanned up and down the dial, pausing when a strong signal station was found, only to move again seconds later as if an impatient hand guided it. She looked at me with her mouth hanging open, and I have to admit that I was equally afraid. I reached over and pulled the plug out of the wall socket, and the radio died. We both went downstairs and repeated what had just happened to my parents, who tried to find a logical explanation. No one ever figured out why it happened, and also the stereo never did again. Many, many more odd things happened in that house, but only a few, am I positive, were the happenings of a ghost. One being that Chrissy and I had just become married, we were sleeping in the room that she had chosen when we first moved into the place. I wakened her to her sounding very frightened and shaking me profusely. I asked her what was going on when she replied, Shh, just listen. Oh my God, do you hear it? And then I did. It was a screaming sound. Definitely a woman, and it was coming from right outside the window. I got out of bed and went outside to look. I found nothing outside, but upon returning upstairs and getting back into bed, it started again. Figuring that some prankster was having fun, this time I crept down the stairs and peered out the downstairs windows. The screaming continued, yet I could see nothing that could be causing such a sound. I moved outside via the front door and noticed that the screaming was circling the house, opposite the way I was moving. Still thinking that someone was moving around the house trying to scare me, I stopped and traveled in the opposite direction, hoping to catch the person coming around the corner towards me. I waited at the corner very quietly and could hear an occasional scream coming closer. It seemed that I could also hear footsteps or the rustling of the leaves on the yard as someone stepped on them. The screaming stopped, but the walking sound continued. It got right up to the corner and then stopped. I jumped around the corner and yelled, Ha! I caught you! But there was no one there. When I went back upstairs, my wife told me that she had watched me walk around the corner of the house from one window and had went to the other to see me come around the corner. She said that the other side was empty, and she saw me jump around to that side. Some people have tried to tell me that a cougar or maybe a bobcat will scream like that and that I had one pacing around my house early that morning. But if this was so, why didn't my wife see it out of the window while she clearly saw me in the moonlight? Needless to say, to this day, my wife will not go outside of my parents' house when it is dark and when we are visiting them. It would take me all day to go through all the odd occurrences that have happened there. So I'll just highlight others such as the slamming doors, footfalls on the stairs, things coming up missing only to be found days or weeks later in their original locations. There have also been voices calling out your name and when you go to see what someone wanted no one says that they called for you. My daughter even mentioned a girl that she talked to in the house which I attributed to an imaginary friend. However, my daughter faithfully described a girl dressed similar to the dresses at the time that was worn when the house had first been built. I've since learned that the house's front room had been used as a sort of viewing room for the deceased of the community when a wake was being held. Do some other people who died and have had their wake held there still walk at my parents' house? I don't know, but there's obviously something very odd in that house. Next story. I was told this story by, by my adoptive mother, who was born in Work County. I also heard it from her older family members. Way back up in a holler in Work County is a two-story white house. It has been unoccupied since the early 1900s. Rumor has it that nobody would stay there very long because it was haunted. My mother's brother and a group of other young men from the neighborhood decided to spend the night there one summer. 
They were passing time by playing cards when the front door opened on its own. Each time someone got up and closed it, the door would open again within a short time. Finally, my uncle got up and slammed it shut and yelled, Now stay shut. It did. A few hours after midnight, they all went to sleep on the floor downstairs. My uncle dreamed of an old man who told him to look under the front porch, piling for his lost money. The next day, my uncle went back alone and dug up where the man in his dream told him to and found a small bag with a small amount of old coins and a few other trinkets. I heard this story many times while growing up in West Virginia, not only from my mother, but from other family members as well. Many years later, one of my mother's relatives lived in that old house, and I spent nights in it. It seemed to be a sad place of unfulfilled dreams. I think it is still there. Next story. In 1990, I was a Civil War reenactor with the 17th Virginia Cavalry. We had gone to Droop Mountain for the reenactment in October. I rode to Droop with Joe Hoff, another member of the 17th. It was raining hard and had been all evening. We arrived about 10 o'clock that night. When we arrived, we found that all the cavalry units, both Federal and Confederate, were bivouacked in the same place so that all the horses could be kept together. Since we were dismounted, we were told to go camp where the infantry units were, on the other end of the park near the observation tower. When we finally got over there, I had to find a restroom. Joe and I both went through the playground area looking for one. I was walking ahead of Joe and shining a flashlight around when suddenly my beam struck a white horse standing near me, probably about 20 feet away. It took my breath and I called out, look there, Joe. He said, I see it. I said, Joe, there are no horses on this side of the mountain. He said, that one is. The next day I found out that there was indeed a horse where we were the night before. It was used to pull a supply wagon. However, it was a chestnut-colored horse. On the way home the following Sunday evening, we started talking about the mystery horse. Joe wanted me to describe the horse for him. I told him that I held a light on it for him to see. He said, you didn't hold a light on the horse I saw. The horse that Joe saw was a chestnut. I told him that the one I saw was white. That had a figure on its back, but the figure was just a gray mist that it didn't really have a form, it just extended above the horse's back. It did not have a saddle or bridle on it, but looked as if something had reined it in sharply because both front feet were planted in the ground, and its back legs were low to the ground. The eyes glowed in the light like cat's eyes. I talked to Mike Smith, the park superintendent, and asked if he had any ghosts on the mountain. He said there were plenty of them reported, some of them similar to mine. I'm not sure what it was that I saw, but it was unusual. In a book on Droop Mountain called Last Sleep, the story was related about the white horse, and it seems that more than just me has seen that mysterious horse. Next story. This is a true story of a bed passed down to me. My mother and father gave me a bed that was most beautiful. On the back of it was dated 1890. The year was 1997. I had just been divorced, a single mom working and living out on my own. I was the only one to sleep in the bed for a while, yet I always kept a scared feeling while sleeping in it. I would awake a lot because I thought someone was touching me, so I started to sleep a lot on the couch. One evening, I was coming down the hallway from the bedroom where the bed was. It was cold in there for no reason. The heat was on. All of a sudden, it felt as if someone had touched my neck. My son was sitting in a chair facing me. He at the time was only four and a half. He said, Mommy, there is something black on your back. 
I was then so scared that we went and moved back into my parents' house. The bed was stored. Later, about six months, I had remarried and moved into an apartment, counties away from where I lived. My son was needing a bed, so the bed I had in storage was brought there. I thought nothing of the bed, really. I thought my trouble was from the place I was living in. Anyways, it was not long before my son started having bad dreams. Every night, he would wake me and his stepfather up crying. They're going to get me. Make them go away. For a while, he would say, Mommy, do you see all these people? I couldn't see them, but I felt scared to leave him. It went on for almost three months. He said they were wanting to touch me. They are old. Feeling a little silly, I asked my parents why they gave me the bed. They said they knew that I needed one when they gave it to me. I laughed and said, your grandson swears these old people are trying to get him. My dad looked at my mom and said, what do they do? They have flowers sometimes, but most of the time they just want to touch him. They then told me that my mom had the same thing happen. Dad said she would sit up in bed and say, do you see them? He never saw them either. After learning this, I went to a used furniture store and gave them the bed. After it was removed, my son slept peacefully again. There was no doubt that bed was haunted. Next story. This story was told to me by my 12th grade English teacher. I've done research on the events that take place in the story. and As far as I can tell, it is true. Many years ago, a newlywed couple bought a house on Brandon Road. The young man worked in construction and his wife stayed home. The layout of the house was as follows. The master bedroom was in the front corner of the house next to the front door. The front door faced a long hallway and ended in the kitchen. The back door was straight ahead. A couple of months went by and the young man came home early from work to find his wife in bed with another man. Outraged, he ran back to his truck and grabbed his shotgun. When he got back to the front door, the other man was running down the hall towards the back door. He raised the gun, shot and killed the man. Next, he turned the gun on his wife, still in bed, and shot her. Then he put the barrel of the gun in his mouth and committed suicide. Several years later, a woman and her son purchased the house. John, my English teacher, played baseball with the boy who lived in the house. One day, the two of them cut class and went to the boy's house to pass baseball. John threw a wild pitch and broke out the front bedroom window. The mother told him not to worry about it, that she was glad to be rid of that window. The boys were confused and asked the mother what she was talking about. She told them that engraved inside the window were the words, Beware to all those that enter. She said that she had tried to remove the message but failed. She said it seemed as though it was inside the window rather than on it. She proceeded to tell them that on a certain night, and I can't remember the exact date, every year at a certain time, a cold wind would stir up in the house and the blankets on her bed would lift offer and lay themselves on the floor. The woman had the window replaced with a new one straight from the store. She was painting the new trim around the door when she noticed an imperfection in the glass. She leaned in for a closer look and was horrified to see that the message, beware to all those who enter, had returned. The boys didn't believe it, so on the night that this was supposed to happen, the two boys got a few of the other baseball players to come over and witness the event. The hours passed as the group of boys waited for the show to begin. The time came, and as it did so, did the wind. The boys raced to the mother's bedroom in the front corner of the house and watched as the blankets elevated and drifted over and laid down on the floor. Years later, the woman had the house torn down and moved to the other end of town. 
The only thing she kept from the house was the bedroom window. She kept it wrapped in a quilt in her garage. A few years went by and the woman got word that a parapsychologist was speaking at the local university. She went to the garage and unlocked the door to retrieve the window to have it examined. But when she got inside, she found the window in pieces and the quilt it was wrapped in folded neatly next to it. Next story. My family has a long history of the ghost of Bud Mountain. The first ghost is that of George Sizemore. His stepson killed him. My family moved into the house sometimes in the 60s. My mother felt him standing over her bed each night and was so scared that she would not sleep alone or at least had to have the light burning. The house is not there anymore, but George is. He never was limited only to the house. My aunt has seen him once while she was hanging out clothes at her house, which was down the road. My uncle has seen him staring in the windows at his house. George never does anything or says anything. He just stands there and looks at you. However, I was told that after he died, whenever his wife would walk home at night after visiting her boyfriend, she would see George walking up the road in front of her. That might be why they moved. The other ghost is that of old Mrs. Eastridge. She was supposed to be somewhat mean and crazy. My mother saw her standing at the foot of one of the beds in the house, and my grandmother would hear the bed springs creak like someone was getting out of bed, and then footsteps go into the kitchen. They would stop at the sink as if she was getting a drink of water, and then they would return to the bedroom, where the bed springs would once again creak. Mr. Eastbridge haunted the place, too. He was killed one day while out in the fields, I believe. I have heard that he was possibly murdered. Anyway, after being mortally wounded, he did manage to crawl back to the house. My uncles saw what they thought was a dog crawling towards the house one night. Nevertheless, when it got closer, they saw it was a man, and he was stepping up onto the porch. They got inside pretty quick. Once, my mom and grandpa were walking up on the mountain when they seen a big white dog. They recognized it as Leonard Lester's dog. The only problem was that Grandpa knew the dog was dead. Two of my uncles were walking past a coal heap one day, carrying a gun when they both took off running. When they got a little way down the road, one turned to the other and said, Did you see what I saw? The other confirmed that he did. It was a local man who had been shot and killed after arguing with another man over a gun. One other occurrence involved yet another aunt and uncle. None in the family exactly knows what to make of this one. They were walking by the cemetery on the way to my oldest aunt's house when they saw a lot of people in cars. The people were standing around the other man who was digging a grave. They were all talking. Neither of them recognized any of the people there, so when they got to their sister's house, they asked her who had died recently. She said that none that she knew of had. That was funny since Bud is a small place and they knew everybody. When they walked back a little later, none or nobody was there. There also wasn't a fresh grave or tire marks. Next story. I used to stay with my grandparents in Logan County, West Virginia. They lived at a place called Madison Creek by the river. Although my grandmother had mentioned on a few occasions before she died, I can't remember much about who owned the house before they bought it as I was a young girl. I do know something wasn't right in that house. The bedroom adjoining the living room always made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. When I slept in there, it always felt as if someone was watching me from the walk-in closet in that room. When I told my grandmother I didn't like sleeping in there by myself, she began to tell me how there was something in that room that used to pull the covers off anyone who slept there. She also told me about the knocking that was heard in there for many years. Every night, up close to the ceiling, 
not too far from the closet. Something would knock loudly about three times. She also had a walk-in closet in the dining room that she called the press. That was what she called a closet that size. In the back of this closet was a blood stain about six inches in diameter and what happened to be blood splatters around it. She said she had scrubbed it multiple times and it always came right back. My grandma knew the man that had lived there before she and grandpa had bought the house. She said that this man was very mean and hateful. She went on to recount a story about another man that went missing and the man that lived in the house at the time hated him very much. My grandmother believed the man who lived in her house before she bought it had killed the man who went missing and this accounted for the blood stain in the walk-in closet and the strange happenings in the bedroom off from the living room. She believed he had buried him under the house. There used to be a small cellar under the house but grandma and grandpa sealed off the old cellar and covered it up as best as possible with dirt. She said the phenomenon happened less and less after that. Sadly, my grandparents both passed away, but my uncle still lives there. Maybe someday someone will dig up the old cellar and see if any remains can be found. Grandma never came forward because she was afraid people would think she was crazy. Next story. Hi. I'm a father of two and probably the most skeptical person around. I can usually find some reasonable explanation for ghosts, UFOs, etc. But I heard something when I was 13 that scared me more than anything ever had before or since. I'm an avid hunter and growing up in rural West Virginia I've spent the majority of my time in and around the woods. Basically I am no stranger to animal sounds. Anyway, one night me and a friend went to an area lake at night to fish. We did this quite often in the summertime. We had been there for about 30 minutes when up behind us in the woods we started hearing what sounded like voices about 40 yards up. The first thought was there's some guys in the woods talking loudly and kind of whooping it up, which would have been unusual in the first place. I kept trying to make out what they were saying but couldn't. I could never explain this to anyone until I read about someone that had also had the same experience. The person had written that he had heard what sounded like people talking backwards. It hit me then that that was exactly what it sounded like. As I was listening, I assumed that it must be people in the woods, but they must be further away than I thought since I couldn't make out what they were saying. It sounded like people talking loudly, only I couldn't make out the words. While listening to all of this, all of a sudden there was a hair-raising, blood-curdling scream from just up the hill behind us. I cannot possibly explain how frightening this sound was, other than to say my body went limp with fear. It felt my legs were jelly. I looked at my buddy, who looked as scared as I felt, and asked him, what the hell was that? He said, I don't know, let's go. We left in an extreme hurry, to say the least. Now, I've told many people this story over the years, and they've always said it might have been a screech owl, a panther, etc., although I have never believed it to be any of these. I have never considered the possibility of a Bigfoot until I read other encounters that people have had. Now I realize that I'm not going nuts. I've also listened to recordings that people have made and believe me that scream that I heard was not that sound. It was intense. My mother's family had an encounter years earlier with something that came around their house many years ago grunting and screaming 
they had always referred to it as the red-eyed monster. I've always thought, yeah, probably some kind of animal. Until my encounter, then needless to say, I have a different perspective on those stories. Next story. Years ago, I remember a family living close to the entrance to the hollow. The teenage boy swore he saw Bigfoot in the hollow. Needless to say, no one believed him. When the incident started, he told one person that there were guys from Riseville that ride their four-wheelers in the hollow a lot, and one of them said he saw Bigfoot once. Yet again, no one believed him, just as no one is believing my family. For several years now, the only ones that go back into that area are ones who have horses and four-wheelers or dirt bikes. The roads are so bad that I don't think you would be able to get anything back there other than that. My older brother and his son decided to try and get a picture of this creature. They took their four-wheeler back to the second field that is just behind the one it had been seen at. They waited for it to walk in. After some time of sitting, they started to smell a horrible stench. My brother stood up to look in the woods behind them and he saw the creature squatting down behind a tree. My brother then moved to get a better look at it when it stood up and left. He then went to look for it and saw its foot imprint on some leaves on the ground. He said they weren't very good, but he could see that its footprints were about five feet apart. My older brother, his wife, and six-year-old son were riding on their four-wheeler back in Old 93 Hollow. It was between 7 and 8 p.m. When they saw it, they thought to be a black bear walking on its hind legs. They stopped the four-wheeler and turned off the engine to watch it. When they did this, the creature also stopped and was watching them. My brother and his wife saw the creature, and they looked at each other over a distance of about 200 feet for about two minutes. My sister-in-law described it to me this way. When it turned to face us, I could see through its legs. Its legs were not touching together. Its arms hung down its side just above its knees, and its shoulders in midriff were real broad. It had fur from head to toe. Two minutes later, the creature took off into a stride across the field, with its arms swinging at its side and a slight bend to its form. At the end of the field, it turned and went into the woods. At that distance, they could see as it walked through the woods. They figured it to be about eight or nine feet tall. They said it could not have been a bear walking on its hind legs, covering the distance it covered in the short time. They watched it into the woods and then went home. They got home. Their son, scared from what he had just seen, started crying. He swore to his mom he was never going to ride his bike or motorbike in that hollow ever again. The next day, my brother took my younger brother and my uncle back in the hollow with him to see if they could find any tracks this creature had made. They searched, but didn't find anything. It was over grass and it rained most of the night. So my older brother gave up and went home, leaving my younger brother, my uncle, in the hollow. Shortly after, my younger brother and uncle saw the creature. They were in the same location as my other brother was the night before. They watched it come out of the wooded area about 400 yards below them and crossed the road and went down the hill into a valley where they couldn't see it. Then suddenly it came up on the other side of the hill and walked alongside the edge of the field and entered the wooden area where it did the night before. My brother got to see it through his binocular and said it looked like a pro basketball player, but much more muscular with fur from head to toe. He said all he could see was its backside and it wasn't anything he had ever seen before. My brother also said he yelled at it, but it didn't face the creature at all. Two days later, in the morning, my older brother and his wife went to the same area to go mushroom hunting. They were in the power lines when they heard a loud knocking on the side in the woods, like someone hitting something on a tree. Across on the other side, where one old dilapidated house was, they heard something screaming. 
My brother described it as a high-pitched hunting dog scream. They said this went on continuously. My brother started to walk down towards the house to see what it was. The closer he got, the more it spooked him, so he went back and got on his four-wheeler, leaving his wife on top of the power lines. His wife said when he started up his four-wheeler and headed down the road towards the house, the knocking got louder and the screaming got louder and more intense. She said the one that was in the woods knocking started crashing through the woods in the direction that she was in, then stopped when it heard the four-wheeler turning back. My brother, who turned around because the screaming was so loud, he heard it over his loud four-wheeler. Then he got his wife and left the area, shaken up a little. They didn't think the creature would be there in the morning. They thought they slept during the day or something. They and other people have gone back to the same area, and the two days since the last encounter, nothing was found or heard. But that just might be a temporary thing. Next story. This incident occurred just north of the town of Fort Gay on top of a wooded hill approximately a quarter mile north on Hewlett Branch Road from where it connects with the Big Sandy River Road, about four miles west of Route 152, better known as Tulsia Highway. There's a clearing just above an old cemetery that lies at the top of the first hill on Hewlett Branch Road. Both Hewlett Branch and Big Sandy River Road are dirt roads. The area is very rural. Myself and four others had driven to the spot just after 9 p.m. to hang out. We had just arrived and everyone had gotten out of the car. It was a clear night and a little cool. The car was parked about 10 yards in front of a barbed wire fence and about 10 yards beyond the fence the hill sloped off steeply and was covered in thick brush. One of the girls had perched herself on top of the car hood and she and I were talking while the others were goofing around near the rear of the car. All of a sudden, we heard the dogs over in the hollow below the hill begin to bark like crazy. And just as suddenly, they stopped cold. The girl and I remarked to each other how strange it seemed. About one minute after the barking stopped, we heard something moving through the brush just over the hill. I stepped forward to the fence and was able to make out the shadow of what I thought was the owner of the barn. That was where the dogs were at, down in the hollow, coming up to tell us to leave. I called out to the figure, and it was about then that it stood up at the edge of the hill and huffed and grunted. This thing stood about seven feet tall and it looked like a pro basketball player that was covered in a dark brown fur. I couldn't make out its facial features. The girl was already screaming and in the car and my other friends were piling into when I made it to the driver's seat. I started the car and turned on the lights and when I did this thing covered its face as if to shield its eyes from the car lights and quickly hurried behind some trees and thick brush. I still didn't get a look at its face as I was working feverishly to get the car in gear. Needless to say, we got the hell out of there. When we got back to town, nobody said anything for the longest time. Later, we discussed it a bit, but not in much detail. I don't know why the five of us never really talked about it. I would also like to add something that's been stuck in my memory for several years. From about the time that I was 14 in 1979, to my first year in college in 1983, we used to hear these long, mournful howling noises coming from the woods on the hill that faced our house. These always seemed to take place in the early fall during the high school football season. I remember it this way because my father, brother, and I would sit on the front porch after returning from games sometimes and try to figure out what was making these howling noises. We never did. Then I heard those same noises on a Bigfoot special that A&E aired a few months ago. I have 
no doubt what made those sounds now. I also know of other families in the area that have heard those sounds. One fellow who heard them was spooked so much that he ordered his family in the house and sat on his porch with a rifle for the next three days. He never saw anything. These sightings occurred in a very rural, densely forested area of Wayne County, West Virginia, in the acres north and east of the town of Fort Gay. I've been told that the area of the first sighting was at one time considered sacred by indigenous Indian tribes. <laughs>